0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a very special edition of the Roman's Empire podcast. So today we have a special guest from one of our favorite podcasts, the London is Blue podcast. So uh, we'd like to welcome Dan to the show. Dan, how are you doing? I'm doing
1: great. I thought the special announcement, though, would be that it's Andreas's birthday and he sacrificed <laughs> quality time with his family or friends or loved ones and, and hopped on this podcast. I mean we talk about dedication – that is exceptional dedication to uh, to a wonderful product that you guys put out.
0: Oh, we appreciate that. Andres, do you want to do you want to be polite and say thank you to Dan? Yeah,
2: <laughs> no, of course. Uh, no. What an intro. We were supposed to be bringing in a guest and he just gives me all this applause. Like it is 11 p.m. here in Houston and the girlfriend's already in bed. So I'm I you guys are giving me way more credit than I deserve. I
3: know. There's nothing more that Andreas loves than to record this podcast. So it's not like he's making any sacrifices. This is exactly what he wants to be doing on his birthday.
0: Exactly. I mean, after all, this is the Roman's Empire podcast where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else, right? That's true. That That is very true. You got to give me some credit for that plug. What a segue. (laughs) That was great. Oh, yeah. You're just making up for
3: forgetting to say that in the beginning. Is Is that what you mean? Kind of, yeah, because
0: I didn't really write an intro down. I was too busy today, so. All right, I mean, why don't we just jump right into it? We got so much to cover. Yeah, um, I'd love
3: to. Uh, I'll take it over from here, Zach. You did You did a great job. Uh, <laughs> first match. <laughs> let's get into the first match, because we got two match uh, recaps to get into this week. First one is uh, a 4-0 victory against PAOK. Um, this... If I'm, if I'm not wrong, this offic- this officially clinches uh, us to go to the next round. Is that correct? Yeah, we first, first
1: place.
0: It clinches first.
1: First, yeah. right.
3: So, officially- we actually had
1: confirmed it before we even took the field uh, based right. on the other results. So That's right. So it's, it's kind of nice to go in. To, it's like when you are at, like achieve the point of hitting a final in your class and you actually have done so well that you could basically bomb it and still be okay. That was what we did. It was that's,
3: really good. That's, that's that's what it felt Story like. Um, and just to make it even better, um, we got a wonderful, wonderful performance from the from the guy that we've been talking about, Mister Callum Hudson Odoi Cho. Uh, it, it kind of sucks because every week, uh, we make our prediction that he, he's gonna actually play and score a goal. So now we have to think of new predictions. Um, but. <laughs> It it was it was amazing. Um let me just go through his stats real quick. Uh one goal and one assist, including uh one one shot off the crossbar in the first half. Uh five shots total, two on target, seventy-three touches, ninety-three percent pass completion rate with four key passes. Uh Dan, I'm 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 gonna ask you first because uh you were kind enough to join us on our podcast, uh what what part of his game impressed you the most? And just give me an overall feeling on 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 how how his performance made you feel
1: sure i think if i were going to point out one thing that i really enjoyed in this match watching play and i think he and the rest of chelsea were the beneficiaries of pauk going down to 10 men very very early in the match but his ability and directness with moving the ball into dangerous spaces uh, he i mean that That defender who kind of had to own in one-on-one is going to probably have night terrors for at least the next couple of weeks thinking about going up against Callum Hudson-Odoi. He has an ability to make the well-timed run to exploit his pace, and he still is very clever on where he's going to place the ball and how he's going to interchange. And, you know, obviously the nice video afterwards that came out through the, the fifth stand app, but Callum giving credit to Sesk for the, the ball that set him up on that goal. It's, you know, how can you not, you know, Andres want to like root for someone like Callum Hudson-Odoi, who's a academy graduate at this point, and seems like he has the world at his feet. And all we now need is more opportunity for him to get a shot at these first team minutes
2: yeah I mean the guy has been a professional this whole season there's an offer on the table that everybody loves to bring up and he's just been focusing on you know understanding what Sari wants from him to earn those minutes against Pauk and I think the thing that impressed me the most in this match was the the final pass or that run in the final third that he always seemed to be making I I felt like he was looking he had these little dinked passes to Giroud that we don't usually see our, our wingers try that added a new kind of dimension to, to our game. And then the other thing was in the second half, he played on the right wing as well, and he looked just as comfortable. So his flexibility, you know, at a young age, you're usually, you, you know, I'm I'm this player, and you've played left mid your whole life, and you're only going to be on the left side. Well, Callum Hudson-Odoi proved that he can be a backup to both our left winger and right winger which i think only adds value to what he can bring to this chelsea team. It's it's nice to have someone that's so young
0: yet so naive at the same time. I mean there was a period in the first half where the commentator was like, "Oh, uh Callum Hudson-Odoi needs to he, he needs to pick out another pass or or he needs to try something different. He's being too repetitive." I love that. I love a young player that comes into the game and doesn't kind of crawl into this little shell and is worried about misplacing passes or or giving the ball away or, or or getting picked off in possession. I mean, he just went out there and he put his head down and tried to dribble past a defender every single time in that first half. That's just something that you don't find that very often with a lot of young players. I mean, you look at Ruben Loftus-Cheek in particular. I mean, that's a guy who's was very timid when he first burst onto the scene under Mourinho. Um, he'd come into the match and he wouldn't really stand out all too much. We'd be kind of thinking... And scratching our heads, thinking to ourselves, well, well what's wrong with him? I mean, in, in the youth setup, I mean, he was doing all of that. But when he comes to the senior team or the first team, you don't really see that reciprocated. But with Callum Hudson-Odoi, it's completely different. You could tell that the kid's hungry. He wants it. He wants to be in that first team, but he doesn't just want to be a squad player. He wants to be a major part of that team. And uh, And it's just great to see him finally get out onto the field for – Longer than my twenty-minute prediction, and, and and make an impact at that. So he, we saw a lot of things from him that we don't really get from Pedro or Willian. Uh, Andres, you touched on it—that little clipped ball. I mean, that's case in point. I don't think we have another player on our team that could play that pass. Uh, maybe besides Cesc. Yeah. But those are the—he's the only other player that really looks for that clipped through ball. And you know, although he didn't connect on on a lot of his crosses or a lot of his passes, the ideal was there, and he attempted it. And you can't really fault him for misplacing those passes or misplacing those crosses because, one, the idea was there, and two, he doesn't have that experience yet. He doesn't fully understand the pace of the game at the senior level. He doesn't understand the pace of the game in the Premier League or the Europa League, any of that. So, I mean, you do give him the benefit of the doubt in that case, but, I mean, God, one goal, one assist, regardless of whether or not Pauk was a shit team or they were down to 10 men. I mean, it was just a great outing from him overall, easily my man of the match.
3: So a guy I wanted to give a shout out to actually before that, uh, I just wanted to say, you know, you mentioned there was no one else on the team besides Fabregas who can make that pass. Uh, Fabregas had an awesome match and just, the you know, I think I think that every time he plays like this, it makes me more and more comfortable with uh, Jorginho sitting because I think that he fits that role just, just amazingly. I think I think he uh, he assisted one of Giroud's goals if I'm not mistaken. But um, just an amazing through ball pass, the the, the clip pass like you've mentioned. Um, but Fabregas, I thought he played really well. And another person who I thought had an amazing game on both sides of the pitch was Emerson. Um, and I I think I think he had an assist as well. I, I I'm I don't know why I'm, I'm forgetting exact details of the match, but Emerson I think played really great on both sides of the pitch. Uh, recovered really well um, when he was pushed up to make take take do a couple dispossessions um, I mean what do you guys think about Emerson possibly seeing some more playing time with uh, I mean I, I don't want to say Marcus Alonso has been playing poorly but I think that his 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 dip in form is kind of something you can you gotta worry about a little bit um whoever wants to take that over
2: I can kind of take the lead here the uh... The whole thing that I'm just like an immediate answer, it's it's December officially, and we already have two games this week, and I really doubt that Sarri going to play the same left back in to start at Wolves and then again at Man City, so I think you're going to see kind of our Euro- – it's not going to be that kind of A-team, B-team that we've been throwing out for Europa. I think you're going to see now more of a, a mix of our typical starting eleven with that uh, Europa League squad per se. So I do think that guys like Emerson and Zappacosta, Christensen, like that back line and then Barkley and Loftus-Cheek are going to see a lot more minutes in the Premier League this month specifically because we have so many games in the next three weeks. So I just think it's going to kind of come naturally that they get to play in the Premier League more so than, you know, maybe a guy is lacking form or not. I think you're going to see a lot of rotation to keep all these guys fresh leading into January.
0: I think I think the real question that we have to ask, I mean, moving into December and, and you know how December's infamous that fixture pile up is does Sari really have untouchables? Because there are players in a team that sort of seem to be these immovable objects. No matter how many mistakes David Luiz makes, he he seems to get into the starting lineup every week. Or however let me rephrase that. However many mistakes people think David Louise makes. <laughs> um, and then and then you I guys mean, you got yeah, yeah, he does make mistakes, but I mean, come on, like bashing the guy week in and week out. It's when, overblown it for sure. It's definitely yeah. overblown. So, but I mean, you look at like Jorginho's, obviously, I think if anybody was untouchable in that lineup, I think it's Jorginho. Um, but, but I mean, I, I just wanted to ask a question to you guys, because it is something that just kind of popped into my mind. I mean, I get, I kind of get the sense with, um, with N'Golo Conte, like he is not going to be dropped no matter what, and he shouldn't be. Um, Maybe Rüdiger now might have played his way into an untouchable spot, but I'm looking. I'm looking at the squad list right now, and I'm seeing guys that were untouchable under Conte that might be in danger of possibly losing their spot if new signings come in. Um, Guys like Aspillaqueta, who hasn't been up to speed so far this season, Uh, guys like Marcus Alonso. Um, You know, Cesc Fabregas has already been dropped completely. But I just wanted to know what you guys thought. I mean, do you? Who do you see staying in the lineup? for the bulk of December?
3: Dan, if you, want, if you want to answer first, go ahead.
1: I think it's really difficult to predict what's going to happen. I think Iguala is probably the one that's going to be least likely to be rotated because he just seems to have an abundance of nat- natural energy reserves. If we could find a way to tap into What's underneath his surface? I'm sure it could power like all of London or maybe even all of the world's energy <laughs> supplies. So I think he's unlikely to get subbed. It definitely seems like sorry, will not move Arisa Balaga out of the goalkeeping post. Like we have not seen Willie Caballero get much time, if any. And I actually think that's intentional for the fact that these lines keep on changing. And he wants to make sure that he has the rotational experience with a Cahill, with an Emerson, with a Christensen, with a Zapacasa. So if someone does need to deputize, if someone needs to come out through injury, that he can command them the appropriate way. I think you see differently under Sari versus what we saw under Antonio Conte is that the goalkeeper is intended to be more vocal, intended to be more directional in the advice that he's giving through some of the, the zonal marking that's occurring and I, I would imagine those are probably the only two that might not see any or a minimal amount of rotation. I think beyond that, you have strikers that need to be rotated. You have we wingers have strikers. that are going to have to be, yeah, We do have strikers. Oh. <laughs> hey, Martin and are both scoring the goals, so I think we have to say that we at least have strikers. You can debate the merits of their ability to be successful, but they are our strikers, they are our center forwards, and uh, you can only just hope that they produce more. <laughs>
3: And I think it's, I think it's interesting that you didn't mention Hazard. And I think, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think it's because uh, we have Willian who can play on the left side as well. And I mean, that's obviously his better, his better side, actually. So I think that when we see when we see a front three with uh, Pedro on one side and Willian on the other side, it's, it's really something that we can feel comfortable with. Is that, is that what, is that why you didn't mention him?
1: Yeah, I, I do think that we benefit when William gets a play on the left. And you know, obviously no one's going to unseat Hazard when he's fully healthy, which doesn't look like it's the case right now and has not found the back of the net for quite some time, even though he was responsible for an assist that we'll, we'll talk about later. But yeah, I, I think the benefit of having William and being able to put him on the left allows you to then rotate. And I would love to see more of William on the left and – Callum hudson Adoy on the right and you know because if you if you have not watched like our youth team set up and not watch Callum hudson Doy before this season he is contrary to popular belief capable of playing on the right hand side is he better on the left I would say yes but he can play on the right hand side so we need to get that misconception uh out of the way
2: <laughs> totally agree I can't I can't stand the the argument that goes both ways I see it's like it, this isn't FIFA, he can only play on the left, or this isn't FIFA, it's not like he can play on the right. The kid is talented, and the youth setup up under Jody Morris, he played across like as a left-winger, right-winger, and as a number 10, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, like you said, he's versatile. But the guy who I surprisingly think is going to see a lot of minutes just because of the fact that he can wear many hats is actually Mateo Kovacic. Um, if it seems like when Conte needs a break, Sarri is more comfortable with putting... Kovacic in his role rather than giving that to Loftus-Cheek or Barkley. So I can see it to where, you know, we'll have a game where it's Kovacic and Kante, then only Kante, then only Kovacic. And they're both, you know, he'll he'll be playing that Kante role more so than that left center mid spot because we also have Loftus-Cheek and Barkley who are more comfortable in that left center mid role. So I think he might actually be a, a player that we'll see a lot of this December even though I know the talk right now is that maybe he shouldn't be our right now uh, left center mid starter. So I'm sure we'll get to that in a bit, though.
0: What about what about Ampadu? I mean, we saw Ampadu play right back in this game. And and uh, Andres, you were the one that touched on it while we were watching. You were the first person to text in the group chat and be like, oh, man, they're going to totally Kimmich, uh, uh Ethan Ampadu. Maybe, maybe he gets a lot of usage in December. I mean, he's healthy now. He's in the Wales squad. I mean, I think he's I think he's nailed uh, nailed his place in that squad firmly too. So, you know, could we possibly see him play? But I think the more interesting question is where is he going to play? Um, if if Cahill does stay through January and and does see out um, till the end of the season, chances are he's probably not going to get a look in at center half. Um, Sarris does seem to like Zapacosa because he includes him in the squad more than Emerson, um, at least on the bench. But then in the midfield, we seem kind of stacked. So where where do we see Ampadu's role? I think that's going to be probably the most interesting question for me heading into December. Is is he going to get playing time? And if he does, what vision does Sarri even have of a player like that?
2: Yeah, just to give a little background, my my kind of comment during the game was that Joshua Kimmich is a... He's not your natural right back, as in he's not like this like extremely fast guy who is running up and down the wing. He's just a very smart physical player who you know started his career doing a little bit of everything under Pep he was playing center back and center mid then he went back to right back when Philip Lam retired so the guy just has like he's really smart tactically and you know he's got a little bit of everything to where he can fill that role pretty well so my point of view was you know if sorry thinks that Ampadu can and have a role at right back or center back eventually or even in in that center mid like I'll just take him whenever I can get him. So if that means that he can play in this sorry ball tactics as a right back, you know, just being on the field and, and practicing these quick tempo passes will benefit him for when he graduates to going to center back or even center mid. So that's what I was kind of, uh, kind of talking about. And and Dan, I don't know if you, you want to, to give me your take on that. If you think that, you know, that's kind of something like you didn't think about, or or if you rather just groom Ampadu into that center mid center back, Role and kind of just keep him there. Gosh, that's it's really tough because he is so versatile and
1: really can be formed in any way that we hope. And it's never bad to have someone that's just a baller. Like we can just all admit that Ampadu is a baller and can be played in multiple positions, and gives sorry some tactical flexibility where he can put one player on the bench who now can potentially play in one to two to three positions which then allows him to have more substitute options in other capacity. So I think from like a strategy standpoint, it benefits, sorry, to be able to put someone like Ethan Alpadu on a roster. I think he's looked very good and uh, very, very lethal with some of his challenges, which I think we're oh, all okay. the one we're talking about um, for Wales playing more in that, that center mid or that defensive mid role. I think it probably would suit him to play there. Uh, I think he can be very, very good as a kind of a, a box-to-box or a defensive mid, uh, but there's just a logjam there right now. And if we're rooting for players like Ruben Loftus-Cheek to get more time or Barkley to kind of come good, you, you then have to look at like where is the highest likelihood or propensity for him to get minutes, which probably would be in the right-back or center-back role. I think if Cahill does leave, which you know, I, I feel like is probably going to suit him more than it would suit us necessarily because um, he's going to want time to play. He's going to want minutes and it doesn't seem like he's going to be afforded that fully. And also, I mean, we'll talk about later, but as well, that looked really good on the left-hand side, going in for Alonso, and it'd be nice to mm-hmm. kind of bring Ampadu in as that right back and give him some opportunities there as well. So I think the only thing we have to solve for is where and how often can we deploy him? And it really, I, until we land on what position it is, anytime we need a substitution in those areas, uh, I, I think it's good to maybe look to him first. And I would see him being included in all of our League Cup, FA Cup, and uh, remaining Europa League matches. Uh, you know, at least on the bench, if not in a starting position.
3: You know, I, I, this this match obviously it was a great it was a great performance, and you know had a lot of good talking points. But you know, we have to be real here. They started off with ten men, ten men early on. Um, I don't know if does anyone have any final points for the match, or you guys want to move on to the West London Derby? No, let's do it. They were just fucking awful. It was so yeah. bad. Yeah,
0: that's why I wanted to move
3: on because doesn't feel like it isn't too much. But yeah, great, great talking points that got brought but up as usual.
0: Apparently, that's the best team in Greece too, which is baffling.
3: <laughs> all right, so uh, to the Chelsea Fulham match. Uh, like I said, West London Derby. Uh, first one in a while. Uh, so it was nice. Uh, to get that win obviously i think the first talking point and i'm gonna have to give it to zach at first because rlc that's your boy you... it's uh it's it's been it's been mentioned before but that's your he's boy been
0: my, he's been my first purchase on manager mode in fifa for the last <laughs> like four fifas So
3: <laughs> so yeah that's undeniable talent right there um so rlc subbed in on this in the 60th 66th minute didn't take him long to score uh scored 15 minutes after in the 81st minute zach what do you think uh obviously barkley's my boy andreas he he reps kovacic are they in trouble after a performance like this
0: i mean who really knows because it's it's as as straight of a shooter as Mauricio Sari is in press conferences um He doesn't really play the favorites game too much. He kind of just loves everybody a little bit. Um, So, I mean, we really don't know. But, I mean, if you're asking me, Loftus-Cheek can just do things that Kovacic and Barkley just don't have the physical capabilities to do. Um, I don't want to say technical because Kovacic is the most technical out of all three. But, you know, for example, that interplay with Hazard on, on the second goal, I really can't see Ross Barkley doing something similar to that in terms of quick passing in tight spaces, four or five quick passes, and in a blink of an eye, he's in front of goal, smashing it in the back of the net. And we definitely can't see Kovacic doing that um, because Kovacic doesn't really get forward enough. Um, But I mean, he he does provide that little burst of pace mixed with technical ability and a little bit of strength and size where he can just completely break down defenses. It's become so repetitive of of our opponents, especially at the bridge. I mean, it's pretty much a lock that every team's going to play two banks of four. And if they're not playing two banks of four, they're playing a bank of four and a bank of five. So, you know, passing the ball side to side, yeah, that's great. And, and those quick passes, yeah, that's fine. But once we get past that first block of defense, there's another four defenders standing right behind them. So um, having guys like Kovacic in games like that, I don't really think it helps all too much because Kovacic doesn't make those runs forward. But having a guy like Ruben Loftus-Cheek who can break the line of defense with just power and, and, and skill... Um is completely invaluable for a team like this, and especially in a match like this. So, I mean, maybe you could see Ross Barkley doing something similar, but uh, that's just not his game as much. I think Ross Barkley is more of a natural number 8 than a natural 10. I think Loftus-Cheek just screams number 10 because every time he gets the ball, he's picking his head up and he's always looking to go forward. Um, But something else I just wanted to mention really quick because I know I'm kind of ranting. His interplay with Hazard in this game was – Interesting to see because it, every single game Loftus-Cheek plays in, his confidence just grows more and more. And I think we're starting to see that with his play, um, particularly with Hazard. You know, th- th- at first the passing started out kind of slow and it was going side to side, but um, once him and Hazard got on the same page, which I think happened in the last the last few times they played together, um, they just seem to have this understanding. Their, their minds are both one step ahead of, of what the defense is thinking and what the rest of our team is thinking. So, I mean, could it possibly be a partnership for the future? I sure hope so. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, Loftus-Cheek just has to be in before Kovacic and Barkley. Um, as much as I love both of them, I just think he offers something so different that none of them can can provide.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing I would call out is – Loftus Cheek is going to be a better fit when we intend to have more possession and know that we're going to be driving in and going against the the double back four, as you talk about, or the depending upon how what team it is, the back eight or the back nine. Um, (laughs) But I think where Kovacic is going to continue to get starts or gets looks ahead of Ruben Loftus Cheek. So we take a look at like projecting into matches against City, where we know teams are going to have. Uh, equal or potentially if not more possession than we do um, where he is going to help to be able to win the ball back a little bit more effectively where he's shown a propensity to do that at a higher rate or a higher success rate I actually think the man who's going to miss out the most is likely Barkley in terms of pecking order I think you could potentially then start to see this Loftus-Cheek-Kovacic split and then Barkley is really the one who starts to lose out because he's not better than Kovacic or Ruben Loftus-Cheek at either of the things that they are naturally better at. So I, I definitely am concerned for Barkley, but I'm happy for Ruben Loftus-Cheek because at the end of the day, at this the season, when it ends, Kovacic will not be a Chelsea player. He will have to then be signed to Chelsea through Real Madrid, which we know is always fun to do business with. Um, Ruben Loftus-Cheek will remain our player at the end of the season. and. I am very much in the mindset where I would like to see more of the player who we need to make a decision on. Is this someone that we could entrust to do this job and to be a starter or to be a rotational squad player if he is okay with that? We need to make that determination by the end of this season effectively so that we can create the appropriate pathway and then really identify, you know, Zach, where we should be spending – the amount of transfer money we have and upgrading fully positions where we need it versus potentially having to buy Kovacic, who might become surplus to requirements as you look down the line at like what Mason Mount might bring into our midfield mm-hmm. and if Ruben Loft's is being extremely successful.
0: Hey, well, what about Bakayoko, man? He's putting in oh. some performance.
1: Good <laughs> yes. God. I must stop you right there. God.
0: No, 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 I know, I know. It was a joke. I just want to put it out there that it's a joke. I'm not advocating hey, for... It.
1: For, yeah, for The, the to AC come back. Milan fans um, are going to be super excited if we sell him on, on a cheap because I think it's the past three or four matches he's been the fans yeah. player of the game. So, yeah. I mean, definitely enjoying it. I mean, I think he doesn't have to deal with as much of the physicality or the kind of change in possession in the midfield that we saw him kind of have to deal with in the, the two-man that we're running under Antonio Conte actually it would be interesting to see him in in our three man midfield, but uh, I'm not wishing him back ahead of Ruben Altesi.
0: No, no way. I think I think the funny thing is, sorry, I know it's off topic, but it is it is worth noting. I, I I feel like Gattuso's the only manager that Bakayoko would ever work with, just because Gattuso's whole philosophy is let's fucking destroy the other team physically, and Bakayoko just fits that. Like it, it's just a, it's a match made in heaven. So. AC Milan should buy him, um, but yeah, I mean, look, it, 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 Dan Dan hit the nail right on the head. If if Barkley and Ruben Loftus Cheek keep performing the way that they have been this season, there really is no reason to buy Kovacic, and that's what possibly seventy fifty to seventy million saved that we could put elsewhere into the squad <clears throat> striker. Um, but yeah, like it, it, it's just money saved, it, and it makes sense. For both parties, you know, yeah, okay, we had him for a year. Real, you could have him back. Plus, we hate negotiating with you because you guys suck. And then on the other hand, it's like, well, we have this homegrown player in Ruben Loftus-Cheek who's coming through who's great. We have Mason Mount who's another homegrown player who could possibly be figuring into the squad. And then you got a guy like Ross Barkley who only costs $15 million, which is probably, if not, one of the best $15 million signings that we've had at Chelsea. So, yeah, I mean, I'm all for it. A- anything that's pro Ruben Loftus-Cheek on for. So but it's no secret.
2: And, and one last thing to add is like on the perspective from Real Madrid. I think Dan mentioned it for a second, but we don't even know if their current manager is going to be the guy there next year. So we honestly have no idea what their starting 11 or formation may be come 2019. So yeah, it's I think right now Kovacic is just necessary for this learning period that we're going through for Sarismo or Sarri Ball, where because of the fact that Kovacic is just a little further along in his development he can pick up these tactics things a little bit quicker but yeah I think if the best case scenario here is for Loftus-Cheek to continue his progression and for Sorry to commit to him in the future I think like I know that Sorry wants a little bit more on the defensive end but because of what he brings to the offensive side of the ball sometimes I'm like you know if we can just let loftus Sheik do his thing and and maybe just kind of let him do the offensive stuff and, and maybe our next left back will cover him a little bit better that that's just so beneficial like you said his connections with Hazard the fact that he just has an eye for goal whether it's outside the box inside the box connecting to get himself into the box it's just it's just something we do, we're not used to seeing and it's just nice to see like you know, the dream, like when Pogba was trying to get back into the Premier League and people were like, oh, Chelsea get Pogba. All I could think about is like we have that sort of player, just we haven't used him. And it's great to see now that he's a little bit more confident and he's staying healthy, that lots of she can grow into that player we always knew he could become.
3: Yeah, um, I think uh, did, did someone want to add anything to RLC, because I think that there was another player who, who was the man of the match, Pedro. Um Did anyone have to want to add anything to RLC? Uh,
1: I I will add that I I completely disagree with your sense that it was Pedro was the man of the match. I think it was a goal of Conte, but we can go through that later. Yeah,
3: okay. That's fair. No, that's that's more than fair. Um, uh, So I'll just read through his stats and then uh, Dan can try to rebut it somehow. I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) One goal including three shots on target, 82 touches, uh, and that goal was – that marked Chelsea's 1,000th Premier League goal at Stamford Bridge. So that was a great landmark as well. Um, interesting fact, uh, that was actually... Pedro's goal was actually the only the second time Chelsea scored in the first 10 minutes of a match this season. And the first one uh, was the opening goal against Arsenal, which was also scored as uh, by Pedro as well. Um, so I, I, I kind of want to ask, well, first... I I'll ask I'll ask this question about Pedro and then I'd like to hear why you thought N'Golo Conte was the man of the match because I I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree with that completely and and you really saw uh Conte play kind of a more familiar game he he kind of took over that defensive mid uh kind of role I think for a, a big portion of this match and and that 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 goal by Pedro was assisted by an Angolo Conte dispossession. Uh, he, he took the ball away and just uh, joled it up and did a really lovely pass to him. So kind of had me thinking. Um, I'll start off with you, Dan. Do you think that this Pedro and N'Golo Conte, Conte match up on the right side? Do you think that partnership that he's making with them is something that we can really look forward to in the future?
1: I think... It is the things that we need to keep in mind is that Pedro is going to run the equivalent of five marathons during a game, and Angola Conte will actually do the same but double. <laughs> so Pedro's problem is usually going too far back, and Angola Conte's problem is usually not going far enough forward. Uh, so I'm a little concerned about that. I know there's this belief that he is still a defensive midfielder, and based upon like the positional maps this season and the heat maps, like he. Is very much not in that capacity anymore. So if it is going to be successful, he needs to be a successful midfield midfielder generalist in that capacity and not defensive mid. Like the this system is not built to have anyone deeper than Jorginho. Like Jorginho should be the deepest midfielder in this grouping. And Angola Conte needs to win back possession when we don't have it. And that's the I think the big problem is that for Kante is he's getting used to as actually having possession of the ball where we didn't have a lot of possession last season or even the season prior, so he had to wing back the ball effectively, and he's just a great and phenomenal individual at that. But now he's having to get engaged with the quick passing momentum, and that you know, benefits someone like Pedro, who's used to playing that way from the Barcelona system. It's just a matter of can Conte continue to replicate that successfully, and we saw that with the assist today in the in the you know in the match against Fulham that he definitely is capable of delivering the appropriate pass. He's definitely capable of popping up in the right location, but it's about the consistency within, and within which he does that. And I think he took all of the coaching criticism that Mauricio Sari delivered to him and executed on it perfectly in this match, because he was a true uh, center midfielder or right midfielder and not a defensive mid acting as a midfielder. I think he actually really excelled exceptionally in this match and helped set up the action for a lot of other players to be successful. I
0: uh, see that this is a thing when I was watching the match particularly in the first half. I noticed Pedro's positioning. He was positioned a lot wider than William would normally be right. William on the right side, yeah, he does play out wide because it is sorry's orders, but he does not have his heels on a touchline like Pedro does. And I just think that maybe having Pedro playing that wide, someone that's more comfortable playing that wide, especially in the first half, that drags out the fullback for the other team. And it creates this huge gap, not only between the fullback and the center half, but also that back line and that fullback and the center mids. And I think. Maybe that created that little bit of space for Angolo Kante to just kind of step into and apply that pressure to Sarri. Um, but, you know, like moving forward, because we do know Pedro is better defensively, right? Um, he's better at pressing. I think tactically, he understands the defensive phase a little bit more to quote, sorry. Um, but moving on, I mean, this could be, this could possibly be a major avenue of attack moving forward. If, Pedro keeps performing the way he does and provides that energy the way he always does defensively. And we have N'Golo Conte playing on that right-hand side, who's exceptional at the high press. That could possibly be something that we could look forward to in terms of chipping in maybe a handful of goals as the season goes on. Um, but yeah, I mean, going back to Conte's passing really quick. Yeah, he did set up Pedro for that goal. It was a really simple pass, but there were other passes in that match and and, and other – patterns of play where Conte was able to to play pretty difficult passes. And, you know, that's something nobody really talks about because when you think of N'Golo Conte, you just think of a midfield destroyer that just picks the ball off of you and plays sideways passes. But that's actually not all he does. Um, he, has a, he has a great range of passing. I just feel like he's stuck in his, in his shell. Like, not necessarily that he's afraid of making a mistake, but he's just so used to playing as 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 this human cheat code slash uh safety vest if you will like he did last season where when he got the ball he just sprayed out wide to one of the wing backs or he'd pass it back to David Luiz in the middle of the back three like he played safe and I feel like he's still trying to do that with Chelsea this season but as time goes on I mean we're gradually starting to see him evolve into this more of like a midfield general like Dan said where he's become more box to box. Yeah, he, we know he could do the defensive side, but now he's starting to provide assists. I think he, I think he has two assists on a season now. How many did he have last season? Was it uh... Did he only have one, maybe two? So I mean, I'm just going to take a shot in the dark and say that if anything he 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 equaled his uh his season stats from last year, but I mean, again, it's a sign of improvement. It's some sort of improvement. The point is that Conte has Conte's game hasn't stagnated like a lot of people are painting it out to be. Everybody thinks that, you know, especially the keyboard warriors on Twitter that, oh, Conte's not playing in his natural position. He's shit. Well, I mean, watch this game. Dan, you said he was your man of the match. Um, I still think Pedro was was for me, but that doesn't make me mad that you think Conte was a man of the match. He had an awesome game. Uh it, closing down defenders. Nobody would come near him. And I think I think Sarri is gonna have. Uh, uh, is definitely going to have nightmares of Conte because every time he received the ball in that first half after um, after they conceded their first goal, Sarri just looked so panicked and so rushed. It's actually kind of shocking that um, a- a- seeing Sarri play at the bridge, it's kind of shocking that we were actually going to go in for him over the summer because if that's the player we were going to go in for, yikes, I'm, I'm really glad we went after the Kovacic loan instead.
2: <laughs> I wanted uh, to also touch on that potential right side partnership real quick. And I think, uh, Zach, you touched on the defensive part of it extremely thoroughly. But what I wanted to say is that in in this system where a lot of our offensive movement relies on this left side of, of our formation and players, where we've got Kovacic, Hazard, and Alonzo who, who are playing these small passes and, and doing a little bit of isolation with dribbling, I think that Conte and Pedro being the right side kind of mirror and and even almost an opposite works perfectly to our advantage if, like Dan says, Conte can lock down those quick forward passes because once you have all these defenders looking at your left side and they kind of get kind of hypnotized and they're just kind of like ball watching when Hazard is doing his thing, a quick release pass to switch, kind of like what we were doing at the beginning of the season when people were still trying to figure us out, made that right side so open. And the other part that Pedro brings that sometimes William doesn't is that off the ball running where he's just kind of relentlessly running to help other people out is going to just come to make those switches and and that kind of quick movement from the left to the right so valuable. So I think that having those two guys be the mirror to the more possession based and more I need the ball at my feet to operate left side of our our team is perfect as a Kind of like a yin and yang, but the other thing I wanted to point out about Pedro is, isn't it kind of funny how any time we score early, he's the guy that does it? I mean, all I can think about is the Man United game uh, where we oh demolished Man U and he scored 30 seconds. Then Arsenal this season, like it just seems like he's he's one of those guys. Like for a team that doesn't start a game well, anytime that we do, he's kind of that catalyst. So. Uh, it's no secret in this show that I think Pedro should be our right winger, just based, again, on the fact that it's a yin and yang situation to Hazard, where he doesn't need the ball at his feet. He can make the run behind the defense or or run to the corner to open up space for someone else uh, to, for the benefit of the team, rather than kind of wanting it short to feet. So yeah, I, that, that's kind of how I feel about the right side, like, like Dan mentioned. As long as Conte can continue to develop in the center mid role, where... Where he has a little bit more responsibility moving forward, I think that they're for now uh, a very good uh, partnership on the right side.
3: Zach, I actually looked it up, and Golo Conte had one assist all of last year. So already wow. through th- th- just just the beginning of December, he's already doubled that mark. So great improvement, uh, obviously. Um, so I think the next player I want to get into, Marcos Alonso. I kind of I kind of foreshadowed it a little bit, but I think today that that match was probably his weakest performance of the season um probably ever in a Chelsea right sure I mean yeah. he he at the beginning of the season he started off really well did the same thing last season as well but um his performance has definitely dropped off since September um Andreas I'll start off with you what what do you think uh, is the issue with Marco Alonso right now
2: um you know I think he actually just started the season on fire. Like it seemed like we were winning because of him. (laughs) I think he's doing all right. I think he's doing a lot better than we all expected him to do at left back. I'm not a hundred percent sure what the issue was at this game. I know that it's been reported that during the match, people were, you know, chanting at him uh, about the, the car accident situation he had back in Spain, you know, earlier in his career. And, And that's something that I know he's had to deal with throughout his career, but uh, I don't know if that affected him. The one thing that kind of bugged me was the last, like if you're you're playing poorly and, and his crossing was, was not on point at all this game, I think he had like five misplaced crosses. They were all over the place, but you know, if you're having an off game, you usually make it up by like just busting ass and you're like, crap, I messed up. Let me be the first one to fix it. And that was the issue I had with him in this particular game, you know, like he's, he's never been the fastest or anything, but at least he would try to make up for his maybe poor positioning or the fact that he went too far forward. And I just didn't see that this game. Um, So I, you know, maybe, I think the easiest solution is just bringing in a little bit more competition with Emerson, just kind of put a little fire under his butt, like kind of like, Oh, your, your place isn't too safe even though I think Alonso right now is still our better left back option. But yeah, I just, I wouldn't say that he needs to just be benched outright. I just think uh, he had an off game and I just wish his effort uh, would have kind of balanced the fact that he was just having an off, off night.
0: I, Marcus Alonso is an interesting one. Cause I mean, like you, Andres, I, I, I think he's our best option at left back. I, I don't think it's a question, but you do get the sense that he's having a little identity crisis right now. Um, you know, at the beginning of the season, he started out well, but when you really look at it at the same time, we were dominating possession. We were spending at least 70% of the match in the opposition half, if not the attacking third. So, I mean, that's, that's his strong suit. That's what he's good at. Um, but now that we've kind of, I mean, the whole team has had this identity crisis, I guess, but you know, not, now that the team's not performing as well, we are giving up possession. Um, we're not controlling games as much as we used to. Um, we're starting to see his flaws defensively. And it's not just in terms of, you know, uh, it, oh, defenders are beating him 1v1. Or, oh, he's not good at, 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 at you know, tracking pacey wingers or, or uh, 1v1 situations, whatever it might be. It's the fact that he doesn't, he, ha- he hasn't been coming back. Defensively, he'd push up the he'd push up that left side, almost to the left wing position as we're used to seeing him in when we are in possession. But the problem is when we lose possession, he does not get back fast enough. And I think with um, w- with the system we played under Antonio Conte, we were able to get away with it because it was wh- whoever was playing that left center back role would just kind of slide out and 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 provide that cover for him immediately. And all of a sudden, we're in a back four again. Whereas here, we're left more exposed because if Marcus Alonso is not tracking back, David Luiz is stepping out onto that left-hand side, who's probably the last person you want stepping out and defending 1v1. Um, and that just creates all types of problems for the defense. I, I don't really have to go into it because I'm sure we're quite familiar with what happens when David Luiz gets dragged out wide. But yeah, I mean, I I, I do think that he's sh- a big reason why he's struggling now is because we're – teams are exposing his defensive weakness more often um whether that's in possession or whether that's just bombing down that right-hand side or our left-hand side and uh and and other teams know that you know he's not going to get back and if he does he's not the quickest um so that's something that teams are exposing and like that sun so, goal
3: like that sun goal um case in the Liverpool point, yeah. match
0: was was a perfect example of what you're saying yeah yeah exactly because Jorginho went out for the cover um and and I said it last week I think I still think Jorginho should have fouled them um but anyways Jorginho went out for cover and Jorginho has probably less pace than Marcus Alonso does so you know it's just not a great situation to be in um if you're Marcus Alonso one thing I am gonna say is that you know in my time supporting Chelsea and my time watching the Premier League I have seen a lot of Uh, 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 Chelsea full of matches, a lot of West London derbies and a a lot of full of matches in general. And I have never seen um, or heard their fans be as awful as they were at the weekend um, with those chants to Marcus Alonso. Andres, you said that you weren't sure if it affected him or not. There's no doubt in my mind that it affected him. And I see what you're saying. You know, players do get abuse every time they step out onto the pitch, but I mean, it, it comes to a certain point where if you're calling out a person um if you're calling out a person's character especially in a situation that was traumatic for him um as it would be for anybody i just think that's disgusting um and 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 i'm I, i'm shocked that uh the fa hasn't stepped in and, and, and investigated because that's just i mean for me that's crossing the line it, it, it's frustrating because the FA seems to only step in when it's when there's racial abuse or abuse towards a referee. Um, but in this case, I mean, what makes this any different in terms of severity, in terms of the mental effect that it has on a person? It's just, it, it's disgusting.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's difficult to police that in the same way. I think it's very easy when it's, racial intolerance or anti-Semitic you look at what happened with the banana peel incident in Aubameyang Mm. with the Tottenham fans this weekend who are proving themselves to be classless upon classless which is exactly who we know they are Uh, so that's phenomenal and what I would say is that it's very interesting that his performance was so poor that Mauricio Sari would actually make the or take the option to actually substitute him out of the match, which is, you know, you think about the fact that Marcus Alonso appeared in 33 Premier League games last season for Chelsea out of 38 possible and played 96% of the minutes. Um, you know, he he has, you know, been a kind of stalwart within this, uh, you know, since he's come to the club and has kind of, I think, paid back exceptionally well the initial amount that we we got him on offer for. It, I think his issues are also an indictment of the challenges that Eden Hazard and whoever are left center mid has had in both retaining the ball and moving it forward. Uh, I think we're seeing the ball move back down that line a little bit. And while he is complicit for uh, you know when he's kind of out of position, I think we haven't seen the same ball movement forward from Eden Hazard for the uh, last couple matches that he's been in. Uh, He's Mm -hmm. kind of goalless uh, for a a drought longer than any of us would probably be willing to admit uh, because it's then builds up this insecurity factor of if Eden Hazard isn't scoring, well, who's going to pop in? And thankfully, Giroud and Rata and Pedro and others have answered the call in his absence of goals. But uh, yeah, it was not a great game. He looked a little leggy. And hopefully it's a matter of just getting him the appropriate level of rotation so that as we head into some really difficult games like the city match coming up, that he will have been rested a little bit more regularly Uh, because what's also different this season than last season uh, is he's actually getting called up for international games too, which is, uh, you know, I think a, a very positive thing to have our players be involved in the international stage and getting the opportunity to get minutes there. But his, his rest level this season versus last season is a pretty significant difference. So it'd be nice to get him a little rested before the city match coming up um, because going up, anyone going up against Raheem Sterling is going to be quite difficult to watch, but I would definitely not want to be going up against the version of Alonso that we saw this weekend.
3: All right. I think uh, if anyone, does anyone have any final points on this match? I I want, I want to say, I think this was Kepa's best match. I think of the season. Um, the fact that he was able to uh, keep a clean sheet this match after, you know, if you look at through all the attempts that he had really nice saves, I think like one or two of them should have gone through, but I think that just uh, his overall play, it kept the clean sheet. Like he single-handedly was able to do that. I don't know if anyone has any final points or wants to just concur with my point.
0: No, like Dan touched upon it earlier, how... Keppa seems to be sort of untouchable in in, in the squad. I, that mm-hmm. that match was case in point. Right. Two. He he made two ridiculous saves. That if and they, there was a thread going around on Twitter for a while that said if Allison made those saves, they'd make a thirty eight minute documentary about it. <laughs> um, which is like pretty true because nobody really talks about how well Keppa has been doing just because the defense in front of him has been providing little to no cover the last couple weeks so right. but yeah i mean in general chelsea's been blessed to have some of the top goalkeepers in the world um in and around the team for a while now and the fact that we lost one um and replaced him with somebody that looks like he could possibly even be even better is that's awesome
2: Right. I I feel personally insulted by Bleacher Report's power rankings, not having Kepa in their top 10 goalkeepers really? so far in the Premier League, mm. so yeah, I, I think Kepa's that. been fantastic, and yeah, I I saw it, BR Football put it on Instagram, I think, like, maybe in the last five days, and, and he was nowhere to be seen, and I was just like, I I can't tell if people just, it's that, I don't know if it's like a bias against us, or people are just not realizing that the three times that we need Kepa to make a majestic save, he does make him. But, yeah, I, like you guys have mentioned so far, it's he's earned the fact that he hasn't been given a break. Like, we want him to be there no matter what. Like, I feel completely safe having him back there, whether it's Europa League, whether it's Premier League. I, I think also just the fact that it's a new league for him, it's good that he's getting that uh, exposure. But, yeah, he's proven to be a, a very – shrewd signing even with the price tag so yeah he needs his uh, average number of appearances to go up
1: so that we make that price like per appearance go down think about like the (laughs) think about like the i'm having flashbacks that whole like fernando torres and like the amount we pay per goal and i would really rather prefer that we don't have some kind of just absolutely obtuse looking number where it's the number of like saves or clean sheets per price paid if we can uh make sure that we get our mileage out of them that'd be great
3: all right so we're gonna move on to our quick thoughts section um uh dan since you're new here i'll just quickly go over it i'm gonna go through a list of topics and uh twitter questions from our from our uh roman's empire ultras um and we're gonna pretty much just what you guys do is just gonna give me a quick thought of how you feel about that so the first Question I'm gonna start off with Andreas because it's his birthday and I haven't started off with him for a lot of things. I apologize. Um, Pedro, like I mentioned earlier, scores the 1000th Premier League goal at home. What was your favorite goal ever scored at Stanford Bridge? Do you have one in mind?
2: Um, I think my favorite goal is actually a Lampard free kick. I guess I think it was against Hull City where he was just like ridiculously far and to the left of the goal. And the ball he kicks, he kicks it far post, but it like knuckles in in like a downward and away from the keeper kind of way. And Lampard being one of my favorite players of all time, I was just like, there's this guy's just got complete range. Like just give him the ball, and I was just in awe. I think that was that was my favorite goal, just by the sheer technique it took to to take that free kick.
0: What about you, Zach? I talked about it. I talked about it maybe four or five times on his podcast before, but it's just Hazard versus Arsenal. <laughs> he puts Cochrane on his ass and then makes Kosciani do like three pirouettes before literally hitting the ball into the ground so it could hop up over Peter Check. I mean, it doesn't get much
3: better than that, does it? Dan? Yeah. Dan, do you have one or do you want me to give mine so you can think a little
1: bit more? No, no. I, I will. I will go with mine. So yeah the first Premier League match I got to go to at Stanford Bridge was Chelsea versus Arsenal in the dreaded fifteen sixteen season and this was before we realized just how bad everything was gonna get so we hadn't gone full darkest timeline yet <laughs> but uh I was in the um in the upper side, and i it was a Kurt zuma header um that was pretty exceptional to watch. Uh, a, not only just being super excited for Kuzuma, but to uh, be very close to the Arsenal support on the right-hand side and just watching them basically all have this unified moment of, fuck, <laughs> uh, <laughs> when he scored it. It was great. So, no, that, that probably – I mean, there's a lot of better goals that have been scored at Sanford Bridge, but uh, that one has a special uh, you know kind of emotional connection.
3: Yeah, my, my pick – also, is kind of like an emotional uh, connection. I'm gonna throw it back to it was 2005 Champions League. Um, another uh, super Frank goal. Um, this was this was when I was just beginning to become a Chelsea fan. I think this was actually just predated me fully committed, but I think this is the match that kind of won me over. Uh, it was a 4-2 win against Bayern. Uh, my my dad, kind of like just like Andreas's dad, is a big Bayern fan, so. You know, and I was a huge Michael Bollock fanboy, so I had to watch that match, and um, I had to I had to look up the video today because I I I forgot who gave him the pass, but it was it was Claude Makélélé did a really beautiful chip chip pass uh, to Lampard. He traps it off his chest, does a nice spin, and scores it. It was it was like it was like one of the earliest moment where I just got up and started screaming for a goal. And really that was like one of the the moments that kind of turned me into a Chelsea fan. So uh, super Frank. Thanks a lot for that. Um, all right. Next question. So Dave, he signs a contract extension through 2022. Uh, Dan, I'll start off with you this time. We have any quick thoughts about that.
1: Not surprising. I think we should expect the club to probably try to lock down as many of our key players Prior to the point where they can't get long-term extensions, um, you know, obviously there's the will they won't they, is it true is it not true possibility of some level of transfer ban that kind of popped up but then went away but still might be out there. So the concerning thing if you're going to potentially be not able to purchase players is at least keeping your retaining retaining your appropriate talent. And while he hasn't looked the best underneath uh, so Sari. Um sorry's a coach. He believes in the best place to kind of find or produce players is through coaching and bringing them up appropriately. So, you know, Azpilicueta has shown us pretty extreme flexibility on the left, right, and center back positions. So uh, I think it would be very foolish to count out Azpilicueta as being un- unable to or incapable of being great in this system eventually.
0: Ditto. I think it's about – it's. I mean we're we're starting to see like a wave of signings come through. I mean obviously Rudiger signed and then N'Golo Conte and now Dave. Now all we need is Callum Hudson-Odoi and, and Eden Hazard to sign and then uh, I could have a happy Christmas.
2: <laughs> I was going to say that like Dan mentioned, like maybe Aspilicueta is not at the top of his game right now, but – We've extended him through 2022, and if by then Reese James is option number one or somebody else is option number one, having Aspie as option number two at right back is fantastic. Like That's the kind of depth that a team that wants to win the Champions League has. So I think this is a very smart move to, to lock him down.
3: All right, so I'm going to get into the, the Twitter questions now. The first one is from at Leonard R. Cohen, and he asks – Given uh, Barcelona's interest in Cho, and uh, just to add, also Bayern uh, has interest as well. And the ongoing conversation around Chelsea's development squad and FIFA's fan revision—I'm sorry, FIFA's planned revision of the loan program and a potential transfer ban—does Chelsea's development policy need to be overhauled? If so, how? Zach, I'll start off with you.
0: I don't think it needs to be overhauled, um, but I do think that it needs to be it needs to be used um, more efficiently um, to be as simple as possible. So, Andres, you you know the most about this. What exactly could you explain what the transfer ban is? I mean, I mean not the transfer ban, the uh, the revision of the loan program that that, that FIFA is planning on doing.
2: Yeah, so it's essentially they're trying to limit the amount the, – the way every media outlet has been put, uh, kind of showing this is that, oh, everyone has to lower their number of loanees. I think it's to 18. But the part that they don't mention is that they're trying to lower the amount of loanees after a certain age. If I'm not mistaken, I think that age is 22. So um, it's to to limit the number of players who are being loaned that aren't youngsters anymore, essentially. So like these Academy players like Reese James and Jay De Silva, all those young guys that Chelsea has in their Academy that now are out on loan shouldn't be affected. It's more of the, you know, Mishi um, Kurt Pizuma Zuma. Now those guys would be the ones that would be affected. So it's essentially limiting those older guys from just jumping from team to team in a loan system. So, My quick answer to solving this is just getting a director of football to take care of all this. I just feel like someone who's dedicated to these things, either the transfer ban, the loans, a guy whose whole job is to plan a squad for the now and the future can kind of guide us through this murky situation. Oh, we need one of those? I didn't (laughs) didn't realize that.
0: See, I I really don't think this whole thing's going to be an issue then as long as we're utilizing the loan policy – uh, efficiently, like I said earlier, you know, focusing on the players that actually have a chance at a future at Chelsea, not those, you know, uh, who is the guy that that just left the club this year, the goalkeeper that never played a game for us but has been with us for like seven or eight years?
1: Oh, uh, Delac or Delac? Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly, exactly. So like players like that. I mean, good God, thank God this rule came around so like I don't have to scroll through that extra like line <laughs> of players at the bottom of like the FIFA team.
1: Um, but... dude dude if that happens just realize that your fifa career mood m- mode is absolutely fucked because where are you gonna go for top level talent at bargain prices like, <laughs> that's always what i do i'm sure. like let me go through our academy <laughs> players let's go through our like our like long-time loanee to high potential they're really starting yeah, Silver, yeah, FIFA. yeah,
0: see see like jade de silva would be good at left back now because he, he'd be a bargain buy but no like I, yeah, if if we utilize this properly and, and, and if we utilize the loans properly, I really don't see it being a major issue for Chelsea moving forward. Um, in terms of the transfer ban, I don't know too much about it. But it seems that every time a major club gets uh, slapped with a supposed transfer ban threat, um, it usually gets brushed under the rug pretty quickly. Um, just ask PSG and Real Madrid and Barcelona and Atletico. Well, Atletico didn't get away with it recently, but, I mean, for the most part, the big mm-hmm. clubs generally get away with things like that, so I'm not too worried.
3: All right, I'm going to go to the next question. Uh, this one comes from at Nick who's, uh He's been active in our DMs as well. A nice chatting with you. So he wants to know our thoughts on Chelsea's uh, supposed interest in Christian Pulisic. Um, Dan, I'll start off with you.
1: I it's it's interesting, right? Because not not you often do people go to like American Chelsea fans first for thoughts or opinions. Uh, so this is <laughs> the one I time say.
3: where you know where say. we
1: have some level of maybe enhanced credibility because most of the American Chelsea supporters, uh, not all, because obviously we are a massive melting pot of a, a country, are. Watch at least followers, if not supporters of the US Men's national team, uh, despite the gross mismanagement and terrible gameplay over the past year, year and a half, that has been just absolutely mind-numbing to watch. Um, But yeah, Polisic coming to Chelsea would be amazing. It would be phenomenal. It'd be great from an American perspective. The caveat or asterisk that I would put on this, uh, much like anything else, is that as long as he is the best available option for us in that position. And when you look at right-wingers, you look at someone like Malcolm, who signed for um, Barcelona, you look at, you know, maybe Dembele being out, you know, and obviously we might have to be concerned about his Fortnite addiction. Um, so that might be <laughs> reason to not go sign him. But like, if Christian Pulisic is the best option available for us and the one that we've scouted out and feel very comfortable with, then I'm all for it both as a Chelsea supporter and an American men's national team fan. But if it's not, then I would not want us to sign him just because he's American, just because it opens up maybe this massive fan base of supporters. And I I don't think the club makes decisions that way they do for things like endorsement deals, but I mean, endorsements is a different department than, you know, player and personnel, and they're not going to make a decision because it's going to get us more fans. They're going to make the, decision that gives us the best possible product on the pitch.
0: Andres, you wanna you wanna go first? Yeah.
2: So as a recent American citizen now as of August,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I, <laughs> right? Um, the way I see it, Dan kind of mentioned it, is if is Pulisic the kind of right winger that we're looking for? So I think in a perfect world, Hazard resigns. He's the kind of ball dominant Uh, player in the wings if Pulisic can be that tandem player to Hazard great Um, I know people are are quick to point out that Pulisic's stat lines kind of are similar to Willian who seems to be the scapegoat right now as the issue for Chelsea so I obviously again as an American fan like Pulisic would be awesome it's just like wow we made it you know we had kind of like a small hype with Miazga coming in for a little bit obviously that didn't play out too well but yeah like if if Dembele is not in the market or if Callum hudson Adoy doesn't turn out to be the right winger we've been looking for or even somebody like maybe I don't know, Bertrand Tauri, who's the, or even Martial, who are the two guys who I really want at right wing aren't available. As long as we're not going to pay $80 million, which is what's been reported that Dorman is asking for, I think Pulisic can be a very good buy. He's got only like a year and a half left in his contract, so I don't think his price tag can be that high. And, I mean, again, I, if Hazard resigns, maybe we're looking for a different profile in right winger, but if not, I think he'd be a great addition. I
1: think the one thing to keep in mind, too, is that, yes, his stat line is very similar to Williams, which I think is the concern for a lot of people. Pulisic is also 20 versus getting close to being on the wrong side of 30 like William is. Um, And if we're looking at what Sari is exceptionally good at um you look at some of the attackers or people that were not attackers that he was able to convert into becoming absolute goals goal machines someone like dress mertens would be a good example uh alan out of the midfield would be another good example to have someone like pulisic who definitely has the ability and the capability to do and be an even better attacker than what he is now um at the age 20 like it's only going to go up. The cost of buying players is only going to continue to go up as long as mm-hmm. these incredibly ridiculous deals and money flow into this sport. So I think the tough part too, you know, as you were saying, is how do you justify the price? And the thing is, I don't care about how much it costs um, because in another two seasons, like, does a hundred million become the base for an average, like, a a pretty good player? Like it might, and so I would rather just be about get you know, and the club has shown that they want to go after players that are a little bit younger, kind of on the cusp of exploding or being, you know, an exceptional star. So like this would be a good, you know, just like Aretha Balaga, like this is a good possibility to get into the ground floor, maybe and sign them to a longer term contract, like a six year or seven year option that puts us in a position to be, you know, replenishing appropriately. And then also might kind of signal the fact that maybe they are concerned about this potential transfer ban or not.
0: See, the thing that worries me – not, not necessarily worries, but like I do think Pulisic would be uh, a great option – a great player for Sarri to coach because like you said, he does have that natural ability and Sorry is a coach, not a manager. So if Sorry stays for the long haul, it's a great signing. But that is a big if because this is Chelsea and we have absolutely no idea what's happening, right? Um, so – yeah, I mean, you guys pretty much said everything I was thinking in terms of Pulisic. I just want to mention one quick thing about the price tag. I do think $90 million is a bit ridiculous, um, if that is the number that's – if it's true, because that is the number that's been thrown around. Um, $90 million for a player that's not in his – at his clubs – in his club's first 11 even um, just seems – a little steep, but like I get it, you know. Th- there are the terms of the market, right? It is January, and teams teams that buy in January tend to be the teams that are desperate. And I just don't think we're desperate. If this deal doesn't happen in January, which I don't think it will, because it's not a real Chelsea thing to do, splash out 90 million in January. Um, if it doesn't happen in January, I'm not going to really trip out because I think over the summer we could possibly get a better bid in because the way Bruce Dortmund's playing right now, I don't think Pulisic's getting back in that side anytime soon.
3: Uh, you know, Andreas, I just wanted to say, as a natural-born American citizen myself, I wanted to personally say congrats on your citizenship. But just don't expect too much from our men's national team, okay? Our women's national team is where it's at, but just don't expect just, too much from us. It's... I have
2: very low expectations coming from Venezuela, where <laughs> we are oh. still trying to figure out our footballing identity. So, See, I
0: was I was gonna make a a, a Venezuela uh, Venezuela joke about their national team, but you kind of <laughs> like already admitted that they're not very good. So
2: if yeah. we were in CONCACAF, I'm sure we would by now be in a World Cup. But hey, time to trade a- in that time to trade
0: in that Solomon Rondon jersey for a for a Christian Pulisic one.
2: <laughs> Never had a Rondon jersey. Always had Juan Arango, who is a who was a European mainstay and was a. Uh, Made a career in motion Gladbach before they became what they are today. So that was a guy I repped for for Lavino Tinto
3: So that brings us to our last question from at El Dirty Dan Uh, This is a different Dirty Dan than we got right here with us today Um, So he asks Sesk to AC rumors are heating up. We definitely his his experience and passing range to go far this season with his contract running out What are our options? Uh, I'll let let the other Dirty Dan answer it first if you want to go ahead.
1: Yeah, uh, don't resign him because he is on one of the largest wages. And thankfully now someone like Angola Conte, who has a uh, much more impactful role on the club and on the on-field product, um, makes more money than him. But uh, as one of the highest maybe three wage earners on the team, it would be nice to free that up because it's the secret or hidden cost of operating the club that we don't think about in terms of the – amount that is recorded on a yearly basis for the deal of having that player. Cesar's actually leaving at the end of this season. He's going to free up some pretty heavy capital for initial or additional investment into the squad. And then, you know, let's maybe get someone like, you know, we talked about Ethan Ampadu earlier in the episode. Maybe he's someone who could try playing out in that role and see, you know, what that looks like for him. Gives you the midfield steal that you're looking for and some of the short passing execution that we know he could be very good at. And uh, you know, get some an opportunity to get him some minutes. So I think Sesk needs to be utilized in some capacity till the remainder of the season. Uh, but I wouldn't expect him to leave, especially as we're you know trying to vie for top four and compete across four top you know four competitions. I gotta agree with
0: Dan. W- one thing. It's a uh, really smart
1: thing to do. You know, yeah, I mean, it's just maybe the smartest thing you've done this entire episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, see, like my thing is
0: uh and my advice if anyone's listening if Sesk does leave in January then that means another signing is going to happen for sure because like Dan said I mean thinking about what is he on like 275 a week
1: something along those lines he's he's at least in the 200 range of uh, in pounds not in um dollars so just
0: just it, nuts
1: it's exceptionally it's exceptionally high for someone like there's a reason why Ces Fabregas was not pushing or has not been pushing for a move away from the club <laughs> where if he were to go back to Spain or, you know, to uh, Syria or to Ligue 1, like, you know, ultimately like his wage reduction would be substantial. And there's no way that Chelsea's also going, to ha- you know, once a player has gone, they're not going to look to be like offsetting the wage costs for someone. So the option has basically been to just let him sit until the end of the contract. And, that's yeah. what we're watching happen right now.
2: Yeah, and, I, and Cesc also came out this week and said he's going to honor his contract. So I know that people did. are yeah. – right, right. And, and I know people are going to say, well, Chelsea will want to cash in with six months left. But in reality, I think Sari knows that Sesk is his only other option behind Jorginho right now. Again, just like how Kovic is just kind of like a stopgap solution to learning the system, I think Cesc is a stopgap solution for being a backup to Jorginho. And for the remainder of the season, he'll be great. But it's kind of one of those things where, you know, his story at Chelsea is coming to an end. And luckily for for both parties, it's in happy terms. And, you know, to add, to rub salt in the wound, I feel like now his uh, career is going to be remembered more for his time at Chelsea than Arsenal. So can't complain for what he did for us. And I'm excited to to know that he's planning on staying just for the six months, especially when Jorginho will need a break when later on in the season with FA Cup and stuff like that.
1: Well, and the thing to keep in mind, too, is that the the one rumor link that has occurred or popped up with some level of regularity, not to guarantee that it does happen, but it's for Sandro Tonali, who is a uh, player in uh, Serie B, actually, who is also like a Kylo Ren, like Adam Driver lookalike, and
2: oh, the new Pirlo.
1: Yeah, the the quote unquote new Pirlo, uh, because everyone has to be compared to a player that they will <laughs> most likely never actually hit the level of that individual. Um, but he's the one that I think has been rumored as the most likely, you know, purchase if something were to happen. So uh, I would imagine any club, of course, knowing the. Cash heavy Premier League sides will uh you know, extort a fortune for such a player. So uh don't expect him to come cheap even if he's playing in the second division of uh Italian football.
3: And and just for the record, so I can look smart too, I agree with Dan as well. So just just putting it out there. <laughs> um so we're a little over time right now, so I'm just gonna we're just gonna fly through this Wolves matchup and kinda go uh into the Man City a little bit more. So just quick some quick rundown on th- this Wolves team, the This match is going to be on Wednesday. So they're sitting 12th in the table right now. Um, They're winless since October 6th. So that's that's, that's six Premier League matches ago without a win. Um, They've conceded at least two goals at home in their last three home matches against Huddersfield, Spurs, and Watford. Um, So let's just go through. uh, Let's just give our score predictions. And if you guys have a bold prediction as well, um, I'll start off with you, Zach. What do you think?
0: Um, it's been a while since Hazard scored, so I think he's gonna get three.
3: He's due. (laughs) He's
0: due. Going three nil. Uh, three nil Chelsea Hazard hat trick.
2: Dang. All right. Well, um, I was just gonna say that I expect it to be a very mixed side of starters and stuff, and I honestly don't think Hazard will play a full ninety just because of Man City this weekend. But I'm gonna say two nil Chelsea, and I'm gonna say that. Barkley is actually going to be scoring again for Chelsea.
3: Damn, just completely hey. blowing Zach's prediction out of the water now. I had prediction. to be
1: bold because you guys always <laughs> give me shit for not That's being fine. bold he'll, enough. He'll get a hat trick
3: <laughs> in in 60 minutes. That's fine. <laughs>
1: yeah, so I think with the rotation uh, looming – uh, I'm gonna predict one nothing to Chelsea, and it's gonna be a William goal, um, just to really rile up people who are, you know, <laughs> super hate William. Like it's it's gonna be perfect. Yeah. It's gonna be like some type of free kick or something that just, you know, because it, you know, Emerson's gonna be in, it's not gonna be the right angle for Louise. Um, William's gonna be set up for it. He's gonna knock it in. It's really gonna piss people off that he gets his punch card moment. And, uh, yeah, you know, well, and then we'll have three points and we'll be able to transition to the City match. It'll be great.
0: If that's not one giant fuck you to the William haters, <laughs> I don't
3: know what is. <laughs> Speaking of transition to the Man City match, let's let's transition to this Man City match. Um, oh. right, now, <laughs> right now. Right now. I know I've been working on my transitions. Uh, So right now, Man City, if you haven't heard, right now they're sitting first in the Premier League, still un- unbeaten in the Premier League. Um, Chelsea's record versus uh, this Pep Guardiola uh, side, both from Barca and his City days. Intense total matches. We've got three wins, four draws, and three losses. So very even matchup between um, us and Pep. So De Bruyne, obviously still out. Mendy is also out as well. Um, what what kind of lineup do you guys want to see against City? Uh, I'll start off with you, Dan. If- <sighs>
1: Um, Our strongest lineup, I guess, would be the default answer, right. which, again, even then, I don't know necessarily if sorry knows exactly what that is. So what's uh, your best eleven? Still... Oh, um, I think right now this game would call for more of the uh, Giroud and Kovacic replacements uh, versus the Murata and maybe Ruben Loftus-Cheek scenario. I think we're going to have to fight um, pretty heavily for the ball and not be able to play with a ton of it. Um, You know, just the city side is so flipping good. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a question of like, you know, where are you trying to stem the goals from? Are you trying to stem Aguero being a threat, which, you know, Rudiger is, you know, really, really exceptional at kind of holding people back and putting them down. So I'm not terribly concerned about him. Of course, watch Aguero be the person that scores like a brace uh, in this match. Um, (laughs) I'm probably most concerned about Raheem Sterling. And, I'm not necessarily certain if David Luiz and Alonzo are up for the task of taking care of him and putting him out of commission, um, which is where I think, you know, some just keen awareness from, you know, uh, Kovacic to kind of be helpful in that regard uh, would mean a lot to me. Um, Cause I think we're going to have to play a little bit more on the counter in this regard. And, yeah, I mean, I, I would love Hazard to find some form and return to his big game player mentality in this match. And, you know, he, he does like to score against the top six clubs pretty heavily. And, you know, even ones outside the top six, like Manchester United. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it's, it's going to be good. It, it should be a good match. I, I do think we will. Um, my prediction is a draw, actually, because I think we have the capability to play with them and hang with them. Um, but I think both sides will score. And I think it will be a 2-2 draw.
3: Andreas, what, what's something that we should be looking for um, with this Man City team?
2: Um, for me, the two players that I'm honestly more worried about are the Silvas, whether it's Bernardo or David Silva. they Those guys just – I don't think they have a position. Like they're technically the two center mids left and right of Fernandinho, but sometimes they're even further ahead than the wingers. Like they're just so good about reading where to kind of position themselves when they're uh, in the final third that they're the two guys that really scare me because they can either create or score. So it's one of those things where they're tiny, but they somehow find their way in the box and they're so comfortable in there. So they're the guys that worry me, especially because I feel like when De Bruyne was there, you know that De Bruyne was going to look up. He's more of like the just creator. But with the two Silvas, they do a little bit of everything. So my worry is just how much time and space we give those two guys. But uh, my lineup prediction is very much like Nance, where I think Giroud and, and uh, Kovacic need to start. But I also want Pedro on the right side again. Uh, we, we mentioned that maybe the counterattack is going to be our, our soul or maybe one of our, our more strong chances of scoring. And Pedro seems to be good at making that run. And having re- recently his first touch has been impeccable in those long passes. So I expect him to be kind of the surprise player this game. And I'm actually going for a 2-2 tie as well. Um, I be, as long as we beat Wolves midweek, I, I, I'll take any result against City, obviously, hoping for the win. But realistically speaking, as long as we secure the win, I just want us to have a good game against Man City, not a repeat of the Tottenham game.
3: And Zach, I'll ask you the same question, but I want you to just skip your uh, prediction because you made the mistake of writing it in the script. And I just – I don't, I don't want to hear it, but uh... – <laughs>
0: Look, I mean, uh, let's just say that that Dan and Andres are a lot more optimistic than I am. <laughs> I think I think the key thing in this match is going to be who strikers could score the most goals because I think there's a lot of goals to be scored in this game. Um, and obviously, Man City has two strikers, and we have uh, half, like half, <laughs> yeah. So, um, look, I mean, I, I mean, here's the thing: uh, against Tottenham, my issue was we kept. Trying to play the same way out of the back, those quick, those quick passes in the midfield with the fullbacks, just trying to find Jorginho constantly, or we're passing it backwards. Look, against the best teams that are going to press us, like City, like Tottenham, like Liverpool does, you need an outball. And having a guy like Alvaro Morata up top is not going to provide that. So, yeah, I mean, I agree with Dan and Andres. You do need Olivier Giroud, but you need him there just so you can have that option to play the ball over the top to somebody. Somebody that could knock a couple defenders over, hold the ball up, and bring the rest of the team uh, into the match. So, yeah, I mean, I'd like to see Giroud. I think Pedro's a lock on the right-hand side. I don't think Sari really favors Willian. I think Willian had his chance and not necessarily blew it, but he just doesn't really fit Sarri's uh, idea of of, of a right winger. Um, Kovacic is probably going to get the start. I see the logic in it. We need to keep possession. But I think the main thing for me is if I don't see Giroud starting up top, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to be worried because if there's no outball, um, there's really going to be no way to, um, to even give us a chance in this game. So, yeah. Um, and in case you guys were wondering, my prediction was 3-1 to City. Um, <laughs> not optimistic at all, but... <laughs> Okay, I mean, look, here's the thing. Andre. Andres said it perfectly. I don't really care about the result as long as we beat Wolves. I just care about the product. Are we competing? Is there improvement from the Spurs match? Are, are we going to get blown out or are we going to be competitive? I think those are the things that we need to look at as opposed to just purely the scoreline. Because if we're being completely honest, I mean, at, at some point this season, I expect City to sort of run away from the pack. Um, in, in the Premier League table. I think they're going to win it again. So, you know, um, we're obviously not going to do that this year. We're aiming for a top-four finish, but if we can give City a match, a proper match, and be competitive um, and see some improvement from the Spurs match, then I I, th- I think that we've taken some steps in the right direction. I, I just feel like this match couldn't have come at a worse time. The, the one time all season where we sort of have this identity crisis – this match decides to rear its ugly head so i think it would have um,
3: i think last week would have been a, a worse time i mean after the tottenham match oh, yeah, i think yeah. that i think that honestly that this past week was kind of a blessing because it really did get our confidence up and i mean going into the wolves match we're, we're going to be sitting only one point ahead of arsenal and tottenham after arsenal beat them last week so um you know i think arsenal on wednesday they play man u um that can go either way tottenham plays southampton on on wednesday so I think it's going to be. I mean, the table's going to be looking relatively the same um, going into that game. So I think that they're going to be playing with the fire under their ass, um, and like they they know that this is a crucial crucial game. Um, and I mean, maybe I'm a little bit more optimistic. Just I think that Kepa's play this past week has inspired me, and I think it's possible that he keeps another clean sheet in this match. And if that and if that's the case, Ooh. if that's the case, then. I think that we 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 come out with a win, you know, one one nil, two nil win, but I think it it just it it completely depends on obviously the rest of the defense, but more specifically if Kepa can keep up this play. So but, I mean I'm being optimistic, but I, I I really do think that just the scenario and coming off this last week, um, that they're going to be playing with a little bit more of a fire than Man City is. I think. I
0: think that's a great place to end the show, actually, on a positive note, <laughs> yeah. as opposed to a totally depressing one I like got mine. You, man. So I got you. With that being said, I mean, first and foremost, Dan, thanks so much again for coming on to our show. Um, I know we were only aiming for an hour, but I mean, we could honestly probably talk for another couple hours if we really wanted to, because you're 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 so informative, and uh, and and we're really glad that we have you had you on the show, and we honestly hope that we could have you on again sometime soon.
1: Yeah. You know, we just got to make sure, you know, Brandon does have to unshackle me and uh, I do have to go back and Mm -hmm. uh, be shackled uh, after this. So uh, those (laughs) are the things you have to keep in mind. You know, it's like a prisoner release form that we have to just get signed and there's a transfer process that takes place, but no, I'd uh, (laughs) love to come back again and it was awesome. And uh, yeah, you know, really, really great time. And uh, I hope that some of our predictions come true uh, and then others don't because I would love to see us win the city match.
3: You know, the three of us together, the original three, uh, you know, we're, I, I'd like to say we're a pretty funny group, but just adding you took us to a whole different level. I'd like to thank you for that.
0: You did a great job. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe you know, we could I, maybe I definitely we could speak to your uh, representatives and get a <laughs> get a, like a short loan spell going. Right <laughs>
1: this yeah, no, 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 definitely. Uh, it was a, a lot of fun. And, you know, it's it's just, you know, I mean, the best thing to kind of keep in mind is the fact that, like, you know, you're looking at what you, know, you guys do and what we do and the fan cast and you know, we have just so many, like, amazing contributor voices within the sphere of Chelsea talking about the Blues, talking about the best team in all of England, uh, maybe notwithstanding the actual table, but, you know, just in terms of culture, history, and uh, a winning mentality. Like, the, the content creation is so incredible, comparative to some of the other teams. And if you go and, you know, maybe you don't attention to the idea of what a united podcast looks like or an arsenal podcast and nah, you know, crazy enough they actually have <laughs> tottenham podcasts too um so shocker but uh, yeah but like they're not like the quality isn't as good there's not as many voices out there and i think it's just a testament to the the work that we have done as this kind of community of content creators for chelsea that um all of these podcasts and you know uh, youtube channels can exist in this kind of collaborative experience together in a way that there's like not, you know, competition or rivalries like the, you know, in generally, like all of us love the work that each other does and tries to use that to make ourselves better versus um, some of the infighting that you'll see, uh, especially if you look at the Liverpool groups of uh, the podcast or, you know, channels or fan channels that they have. So, uh, you know, keep up the great work guys.
0: We really appreciate it. And with that being said, I mean, I guess we'll talk to you guys next week. Hopefully six more points at the back, fingers crossed. Um, But, yeah, until then, keep the blue flag flying high, and we'll talk to you guys soon.